Good morning, everybody. This is Paul Carruthers. I'm the communications manager for Moto America, and this is a Moto America's weekly podcast off track. I'm joined, as always, by Sean Weiss, who's in Ohio. I'm out here in California, and we're going to introduce a guest in a minute who's all the way across the pond in England. Um, hopefully, our connection stays good. We've had a little bit of an issue this morning with it, but uh, we're going to give it a go anyways because. Uh, I think talking to Michael Hill is always worth the effort. Um, Michael is our uh, Moto America Live Plus. He's actually one of the two voices of Moto America Live Plus. Anybody that's been to a World Superbike race at Laguna Seca is probably familiar with his work in the Paddock Show, uh, where he entertains fans. I don't know how he does it, Sean, but he, uh, he basically talks nonstop for it seems like 12 hours, perhaps. Um, you know, I could imagine you doing that, but uh, I don't think I could do it. So uh, Michael does a good job at the races, uh, for our races for Moto America, for entertaining the fans, and uh, and also, again, uh, seemingly talking all day long on Moto America Live Plus. Um, that's our live streaming that uh, that covers every class, every session, every race uh, from Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, Sean, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm I'm looking forward to talking to Michael. You know, unlike us, Paul, I mean, we we have gone to our test at Barber Motorsports Park for the preseason, but it'll be interesting to get a, a take on what's out there as far as racing because Michael has attended, he attended the MotoGP race in Qatar and before that, of course, the World Superbike in uh in uh, Phillip Island in Australia. So he has been at least to a couple of races in and tell us a little bit about how that MotoGP thing was that wasn't really MotoGP because it was only Moto2 and Moto3. So um, I'm anxious to talk to him. But yeah, like you said, it's a little tricky with the connections. I think because everyone's home, it seems like everybody's using the uh, stealing the Wi-Fi bandwidth or something because my my Wi-Fi is a lot less than it was, so um, or a lot lot slower than it was. Yeah, I guess good Wi-Fi is like toilet paper at this point. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right, my, let's bring Michael in. Hey, guys, how, how are you? Thank you for uh, inviting me. And, uh, yeah, can we not talk about toilet paper? I've, uh, I've just come back from the supermarket, and that was like hell on earth. So uh, let's, let's leave the toilet paper to uh, talk for another time, eh? We're actually grocery shopping at the same time because I just got back as well. No, it's it's a crazy, crazy situation that uh, that everyone's in. So yeah, I mean, I hope first and foremost that all the fans of Moto America and and racing around the world are, are staying safe and sticking to the guidelines. And let's hope that we just get back racing soon. Well, you're you're one of the few people in the world that actually have uh, have seen some motorcycle races this year. So maybe we can start with that. But you're fortunate enough to uh, to be in Phillip Island for well, actually three incredible races um, with the World Superbike Championship, and then you were able to go to Qatar, and, uh, and you didn't get to see MotoGP, obviously, but you got to see uh, two very good races in Moto Two and Moto Three. So. Talk to us a little bit about uh, your your worldly travels, at least until things got shut down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think anyone that that was watching at the beginning of the season, I mean, those those opening races for the World Superbike, that, well, that was proper superbike racing. You know, there was so much hype over the winter 
uh, with different riders changing teams and Scott Redding joining the championship. And then, of course, from the American standpoint, Garrett Gerloff obviously got the chance to ride with, with GRT. And you know, there's so much anticipation for those opening races. And I've, I've got to say, it was it was just a pleasure to be back in Phillip Island. It's a, such an iconic track. The fans there were great. The weather was great. And the racing in all the categories was, was fantastic. I can't remember the start of a World Superbike Championship. And I think I've been in the paddock for about 10 years now. I can't remember just people, you know, leaving the paddock at the end of the day with big smiles on their faces, coming in ready for the first race on Saturday with even bigger smiles. And it was just a great way to start. Um, I mean, the whole Corona thing wasn't really being talked about when we first landed in, in Phillip Island. I was there probably a week or so before the event because um, we have the preseason test there and all the photo shooting and, and things like that. So it was very much just business as normal. We you know land in Australia, land in Melbourne, travel to the circuit. You know, it's it was just like any any normal start to the season. And then sort of, I think it was round about sort of Saturday afternoon, there was a few little whispers. And then uh, obviously they made the announcement that um, that MotoGP wasn't going to happen, that they were only going to race Moto2 and Moto3. But from the from the World Superbike point of view, there was no no difference. It was a normal, it was a normal weekend. Um, you know, it was a, no difference. You wouldn't say by walking through the paddock, there was there was no no issues whatsoever. Um, then we obviously the week after was meant to be MotoGP. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I, I work for the for the circuit there doing the, the commentary um, around the circuit, but also they build like a huge big stage, a little bit like the World Superbike paddock show, but it's more of more for entertaining the guests in their VIP village. And from literally getting on the plane in, in Melbourne um, on the Monday evening, they said, everything's going ahead as normal. The only difference is we won't have the MotoGP race, but everything's the same. So got on the plane, landed in Qatar. And then from the minute we landed in Qatar, it was like walking into into a ghost town. I mean, I don't know if you guys have, have transited through Doha, but normally it's a, it's a really, really busy hub. There's people everywhere. Um, you know, with flights traveling in and out all over the place. And from getting off uh, the plane, there was literally six or seven of us in a queue to go through immigration. Alex Lowe's was just in front of me with his wife. Um, There's a couple of Italian photographers who got taken off into a side room and interrogated. Um, and then obviously they let us come into, into Qatar. Once we kind of exited the airport and got into the sort of the hire car, et cetera, going into the city of, of Doha, it, it, it just seemed like a normal... A normal Monday morning, like we landed at sort of six six thirty in the morning. It was like a normal day. People going to work, no big dramas. Um, it didn't feel any different. The airport definitely felt quieter, but it didn't feel any different. And then, as I said, the next day we went to the circuit, um, or I went to the circuit for the first time, and that's when you could really tell the difference. They announced that they weren't going to let the paddock um, open. There were only people. The only people allowed in the paddock were people that were either teams, team members, or personnel. The paddock in Qatar is normally open to, to guests with, with the right pass, but credentials and things like that, it was all closed down. Um, they then said that they were going to try to uh, to still maintain the, the sort of the meet and greet and the fan interactions with some of the riders that had been planned. And that all then got cancelled. Um, it, it was a really surreal experience. I mean, you guys have been in the paddocks the same as me for many, many years, and it, it's normally a bustling place. You know, I mean, MotoGP is maybe a little bit more of a closed paddock than than usual uh, in, in any event anyway, but it, it was just a really surreal experience, sort of driving into the circuits. The only people around there were teams. Um, nobody was really leaving the pit garages. Um, they, they, everyone just tried to, or, or seemed to just be keeping themselves to themselves. 
the media center was half empty. I mean, there were still quite a lot of journalists and photographers there, but, you know, certainly a lot of people that would have normally made the, the journey from, from Italy, for example, they, they weren't there at all because um, the Qatar government blocked um, blocked all flights and, and anybody from Italy arriving into the country. So from that side, it was a bit surreal. But from a racing standpoint, the racing was great. Um, they also ran two races of the Asia Talent Cup um, and all all four races at Qatar provided photo finishes. Uh, it was a semi-Philip Island. We had, you know, sort of the second and third I think the second and third closest races in history, the, the fifth closest podium of all time. So, it, yeah, it just it's just it's it seems strange to be talking to you guys here from central London. And, you know, I've, I've been outside probably once a day for the last week. We can't really go anywhere. It's after such a great start to the season. It's just it's all come crashing down around us. But, you know, all, all we can do, as I said, is, is follow the follow the advice and, and, and hopefully we go, we go racing soon. But it, it seems every every day you switch on the laptop and, and, and things are being changed. You know, we've had races postponed from, from World Superbike. There's been another postponement this morning of the race in Jerez from MotoGP. Moto America's had to postpone or, or change the date of, of their first race at, in uh, in Cota. They've now had to change Atlanta as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure we will get racing. Um, it's, just, it's just a waiting game, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like everything's just going to be pushed back. Um, tell us a little bit about I, I, back to World Superbike for a second. Though, do you think that the series is Philip Island a represent a good representation of how the series will be, or is it just a Philip Island thing as far as how close it was? Now that that's a really good question. This is something that I talked about on on the stage with the fans. We've we've made a few changes this year to be even more interactive with the fans, if that's possible. But we you know we we rolled out a few new things in Philip Island. That was one of the discussions that we had, where you know we said, look, you know, Philip Island always produces close racing, um, and then historically you go to other circuits where the gaps don't don't materialize. Um, and my sort of answer to that was that I, I think. I think it is indicative of what we can expect through the season. I went testing uh, with a lot of the guys um, in Jerez at the start of the year, which is something I've never done for a few years. And again, even though we had mixed conditions, the, the times were very close. And, and looking at the, the pre-season in November, looking in Portimao in, in February, uh, or in January rather, the times were very close. We had seven or eight guys within a second. Phillip Island always produces close racing. But to counter that, I would say, look at the races that we had in Phillip Island uh, in 2019, Alvaro Bautista was practically halfway back to Melbourne before anybody else crossed the line. And then that wasn't necessarily indicative of how the season ended because he lost the world championship. So um, it's, it's a good question. I'd like to think, only because I'm so close to the championship and, and you know, to, to witness those races firsthand. I mean, it was elbow barging and, and, you know, I mean, some of the most entertaining races and overtakes that I think we've seen on track in World Superbike for four or five years. You know, and I think everybody watching would agree that, um, you know, I was hoping that it would have been, you know, we only have to wait an extra week and then we would have had round two in, in Qatar, but we, we didn't get that. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say yes, I think it is indicative whether we're going to get eight or nine riders together as close as that in every race, maybe not. But I definitely think we're going to get a leading group of five or six in most races. That would, would be my gut feeling. The other thing I want to ask you about World Superbike before we move on is what, what, what are people thinking about Garrett? I mean, he's our boy over there this year. Obviously, we, we have very high hopes for him. We know he's full of talent. He started to do really well here last year in Moto America, and then he's moved on to World Superbike. 
I thought he showed well, but obviously I just, I'm curious to see what, what, what the feeling was about him from within that paddock. Yeah, I mean, well, as you know, I've, I've known Garrett as well for a, for a few years um, when you guys have always accompanied World Superbike at, 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 um, at Monterey in, uh, at Laguna Seca. So, no, I think Garrett's clearly a talent. Um, the thing I like about Garrett as well is he's such a cool guy off the track as well. So, you know, he, he was, I wouldn't say thrown in at the deep end, but obviously round one in, in Phillip Island is slightly different to, to a normal World Superbike weekend in terms of the extra off-track things that they have to do you know there's filming for a couple of days then we have the two-day test then we have all the season photographs on the grid you know and, and these things take a lot of time and then also because we only go to australia once a year similar to when we go to to america any you know first time rider we bring on the stage more so there's a lot of things that he had to contend with uh, i think some of his leathers didn't arrive on time um, and things like that we lost in transit on the way so a whole host of things going on but I think he did a really, really good job. Um, and I think that, you know, yes, okay, you can argue that he only scored a couple of points. But looking at that first race, he passed 10 people in the first lap and a half, which the last time anybody that I remember doing that would have been Jonathan Ray when we used to have the reverse grid, you know. I think what caught him out a little bit in race one on the Saturday, if I'm being honest, and, and probably he would admit it as well, is his inexperience with the Pirelli tyres. Um, I mean, he was comfortably running inside the top seven or eight for the the first five or six laps. And then, you know, the last four or five laps, if you look at his lap time on the data sheet and spend a lot of time just looking at the analytics, his lap times were three to four seconds off the pace. So he clearly just burned the tyres out. But that will come with experience. I think what he showed in race one is that he, he is capable. I mean, in, in Jerez, he was uh, inside the top three in testing in the rain. Um, he never, unfortunately, got the chance on the Sunday to um, to show what he could have done in the sprint race or what he could have done in race two because there was a bit of an incident on track in the morning warm up and he got taken out by by Sandro Cortese and and then never got to race. So um, I think if he had have raced, I think he could have. Um, I'm not sure he would have been in the top nine in the sprint race, but I think he would have had a better race in the sprint race because I don't think he would have burned the tire out. And, and I think he could have come away from Philip Island with a with a top a top ten. Um, which would have been, I think, a, a reasonable result. I think when we get back into Europe and we get to tracks that he's tested at, I, I honestly think he'll be one to watch. And, and there was a lot of support from in the paddock, um, you know, not just in terms of the way he was on track, but when he was introduced on the stage, the fans, you know, seemed to like the fact that there was another nationality back in the championship. You know, it's been a while since we've had a full-time American in the championship, obviously Jake Gagne, the last rider and then prior to that obviously um the late Nicky Hayden so I think the fact that you know we've got an American in the championship is good and and he's a fast American you know and he's still he's still really really young you know so I think he just needs to keep his keep his nose clean um I mean the, the crash in the warm-up wasn't his fault so you know it, that's that's racing it's frustrating but it wasn't his fault um I think he can you know once we do go racing again he just needs to to keep learning and keep showing what he's doing and, and hopefully he'll stay on the grid for, for 2021 because that's also the problem which we've talked about before. I remember talking to you guys in Road America last year and it's all well and good, new nationalities coming into the championship, but you need more than one year, as you guys know. You know, coming to Europe, it's a different way of life. You know, it's not, even though they may speak the same language and we speak English a lot, you know, it is a completely different way of life. So, you know, he doesn't know all of the circuits he needs to learn finish the races, do a good job, which I think he's doing. And, you know, for me, I think he, you know, it's, it's early to say he should be on the grid in 2021, but I think he should, is, is my personal opinion. I think he deserves more than one year. 
Michael, I want to ask you, continuing with Garrett Gerloff a little bit, regarding the fact that he, they make seem to make no bones on that team or within the hierarchy of Yamaha. They call it the junior team, and I don't really understand quite why that why, why that is. I mean, I understand that Garrett's a rookie to the series, so maybe that's part of it. But from what you understand, are the bikes, is the bike that Garrett has different than like what, Toprak has what what the pot you know the main pot team has is there is there kind of a step down between in in machinery at all do you know yeah so I mean from my understanding just to, to answer the first part in terms of why it's called the the junior team my understanding is um, and again I hope I get this right but my understanding is that the the GRT team um, if you remember last year they ran Marco Melandri and uh, Sandro Cortese so kind of a, a more experienced superbike rider with a, a superbike rookie in terms of Sandro, who obviously just won the, the World Supersport Championship. My understanding is the way that they've structured or Yamaha have structured is they now have the, the factory team with, with Toprak and with Michael Vandermark. They're running the, the full spec 2020 bikes, etc. They've then got the, the GRT junior team, which is in essence the feeder team to that Pata Yamaha team. I understand that they're running, whether they're going to be on these bikes the whole year, I don't know, but they're starting the season with the 2019 full spec bikes so it's not a it's not like a, a hybrid bike or a, a you know a, a standard 2020 bike it's the full spec bikes from 2019 is what i'm led to believe um whether they upgrade through the year i don't know um and then obviously from a yamaha standpoint you've then got the tenkata yamaha which are uh, receiving support from japan but they're also doing a lot of in-house development themselves. Um, and again, I'm not sure exactly what in-house development they're doing. I think it's more to do with chassis and suspension and things like that. But, you know, I'm not fully fully aware of what they're doing. But from what I can gather, if you look further down the Yamaha structure, they've now obviously introduced um, the R3 Cup, which is for 12 to 15-year-olds. You've then got the Blue Crew Challenge, um, which is a championship or a challenge within the Supersport 300s. Um, so what I can see is that it's kind of uh, a stepping stone. So you've got the youngsters in the, the R3 Cup, then you've got the, the Blue Crew Challenge. Then in World Supersport, you've still got the Blue the Blue Crew kind of um, progression, if you like, with Andy Vadoya and Galang Hendra Pratama, who did World Supersport 300. They've moved up. And then the logical thing for me is that you look at the likes of Federico Caracasillo and Garrett Gerloff, that potentially they're being groomed and, and honed, that you know they, they're going to get some good factory support. They're on, on the radar of Yamaha. And when there's a change at the top, they kind of move up. Kind of like what they've done with MotoGP, with obviously Valentino um, being replaced um, or potentially being replaced. Well, he has been replaced, hasn't he, for 2021. That's the deal's done. So it, it'll be Maverick and, and Fabio will move up right. from, the, from the Sepang team. So... That's my understanding of how it is. Um, definitely the bikes that they were testing in Jerez were the 2019 bikes. Um, whether they upgrade through the season, I don't know. But, I mean, you could see from Garrett's pace um, in Phillip Island in that first race, his race lap was as quick as the guys that were on the podium, if you look at the, the individual best lap. Um, so the 2019 bikes, the full-spec bikes, are not slow. I mean, Melandry was on the podium in Phillip Island last year on, on that bike. So if you do a like-for-like -like comparison between you know, Garrett's time and Marco's time, there's very little between them. Um, so for all the American fans and for, for Garrett and for you guys, that's that's what I would be looking at. You know, it's you can compare it against Toprak because, or, or Michael Vandermark because naturally they're the benchmark. But if they're running the 2019 bikes, surely the benchmark for Garrett is to look at what Marco was doing, what Sandro was doing 12 months ago. And if you're as quick or you're quicker than that, then you're doing a good job.
That's that's a really good way to explain that, Michael. Um, and I'm glad you did that because it is kind of a little hard to figure out. It sounds to me like it's a similar to how they've been in, well, how they were previously with MotoGP and their relationship with Tech Three and how you know Tech Three sort of used previous iterations of the the YZR. Uh, I'm sorry, YZR M1. And uh, so it, it's the same kind of thing, I guess. If a tech, if Tech Three beat like the big Moto, uh, Yamaha MotoGP team, would be the same thing as a junior a junior team rider beating the you know the team beating like uh, Toprak and Michael Vandermark. Obviously, that makes that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. That's probably a good analogy there. Do you think Tech Three to with MotoGP or the way it was with Tech Three? I should say. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's that. That's how I would would look at it. I mean, there's always going to be the argument that everyone should be on the same bike. In an in an ideal world, you'd get that. But um, you know, it's that's motorsport, and that that's how it works. But I, I like like I said, going back to what I said about Garrett, it's it's so it's so strange because it's Sonoma last year. Um, I think it was the second or third Moto America race that I did, and we we, we actually took Garrett up into the uh, into the grandstand, and we started doing a. Um, an interview with him and, and one of the questions i said to him was when are you going to come to to world superbike and i kind of said it tongue-in-cheek just to try and get a reaction from him and then lo and behold three months later he signs the deal so uh, I, I might take a bit of credit for that you know maybe i just <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. a percentage of the money <laughs> yeah that, that would be nice right that would be yeah. nice <laughs> Hey, Michael, let's um, let's switch gears a little bit. So you were talking, you know, about Qatar and, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic that the the two rounds that you saw and the, the two, you know, the one round of World Superbike, the one round of MotoGP, which was Moto2 and Moto3, happened to be a situation where for us here in the in United States, I mean, it sort of, in our mind, showcased Garrett's talent a little bit in, at Phillip Island. Same thing with Qatar and Joe Robert, Roberts, and we had him on last week. Um, it was great to talk to him. We talked about when he raced in our series and won the championship in 2015. And one of the things we discussed is, you know, do you have to kind of learn how to win? And Joe sort of felt that way. He said it's, it's strange about with winning, you know, once you get you get a hang of it, it you start to do it more. Um, and, you know, we, I we were hopeful of what he was going to do this year. But, boy, he just did such a great job. Um, in that first Moto2 round, and you were there. Um, tell us about that, and did you personally expect to see Joe make this jump compared to what he's been doing, you know, the past year or so in the series? Yeah, again, a really good question. I mean, I, I know Joe really well from, not just from from his time in Moto America, but also when he was in the, the Spanish Championship, the FIM CV Repsol Championship. Uh, he was racing, obviously, at the same time as Jason Uribe. So there was a couple of Americans that, that made that transition across. Um, Hand on heart and being honest, and I spoke to Joe in in, uh, in Qatar, um, no disrespect to Joe, but the, the, the jump from where he was and where the team was, uh, which I think is an important point here, um, to, to the front, um, was, was a shock. I think it shocked a lot of people in the paddock. But for me, it was a pleasant surprise because, you know, I think um, in the press conference in, in Qatar, somebody said, look, you know, if you look at Joe Roberts off the track, he doesn't look anything like a motorbike racer. He's the most laid-back guy, just ambling through the paddock. You know, nothing's nothing's too much of a drama. You know, he's 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 really chilled. But you put the helmet on him, and, and the guy can ride a bike. And you know, I was really really pleased for for him. The fact that he was quick in, in practice. Then he went and got got the pole position. And you know, whether he got on the podium or he didn't, for me, the the ride of the race. And I'm not just saying this because we're doing the podcast. I genuinely believe there was, there was two, two standouts for me in that race. Uh, one was Joe Roberts because it's the first time that he's obviously raced 
in contention for the podium and he was there on his own merits and it wasn't like half a dozen people fell off and he inherited fourth position you know he was he was there throughout and the, the second rider which i also think um is, is one to watch for this season was remy gardner because he got beaten up left right and center at the beginning of the weekend two monster crashes he got pushed back in the race but obviously he reserved his, preserved his tires and he came through towards the end of the race so i think we're at that time now Going into 2020, you could also throw Bo Benschneider into that, that mix as well. He qualified fifth after having been nowhere last year. And I think he was teammates um, last year with, with Joe. So, uh, you know, I think I think we're in for the, the turning of the tide. You, you're going to have this all the time, aren't you? Where you get the riders that you expect to be at the front. And then every year or every couple of years, you get the odd name that just pops up. Um, you know, can Ben Schneider be there the whole season? I'm not sure. Remy's proved that he can be, but sometimes makes mistakes and crashes, you know, but he's going to learn. Um, I, I think Joe could be there all season. I really, really do. And, and I think one of, the, one of the nice things of this whole story with the American racing team is the, is the inclusion now of, um, of John Hopkins. And it was so nice to see John back in the paddock and, and he was sat just in front of me in the press conference. And again, I had a bit of a chat to him and how's, how's things going? And it, uh, John Hopkins said something really interesting to me, which was one of the only things that Joe was missing was self-belief. And, and how many times have we all talked about it, whether we're having a, you know, a beer or, or dinner or we're just talking in the paddock where racing is 90% in your head. Um, and whatever they've done in that team, whatever people are now around Joe Roberts, Joe believes. And when you believe, you can, you can ride fast. And, you know, I, you know, don't want to... I'm not, I'm not a betting man, but I would bet, you know, providing we go racing this year and, and, and this whole Corona thing blows over, I, I think Joe Roberts can get podiums. Whether he can win a race this year, I don't know, but he can get podiums for sure. Let's uh, continue. So Joe Roberts, like I said, you know, was in our series in Moto America and, and you know, won, won the championship in 15 and had, I think it was like a nine, nine wins that season. Um, so we had our test at Barber. And uh, we're certainly looking forward to when our season kicks off. Possibly, it looks like VIR is going to be a possibility as, for the start. Um, I think, you know, Road America is one that we're looking towards, too. And it's funny, I remember the last time we did the podcast with you, it was it was in person on camera at Road America. And that was kind of your first time in our paddock. So you're going to be doing the same thing this year. Uh, with us and we're looking forward to that a lot um, you've added a lot to our series with your commentary and I know the thing that I'm always amazed and want to ask you about Michael is you know I think Paul for sure me a little bit and I know clearly you keep your eyes on a lot of series around the world and I'm sure you're pretty deeply steeped in British Superbike too, but when you come in, how do you how do you keep these riders straight? I mean, even some of the riders that are very new in Junior Cup in Moto America, you 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 knew who they were. You already reached out to them. So, you know, how, how do you how do you keep all these riders straight among all these series? I think I just have to flat out ask you how do you how does that work for you? Well, I, I guess now everyone's in quarantine. My secret's out because this is just like normal life for me. Like I don't have any friends. I don't go out. You know, I just sit there reading. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, no, it's <laughs> I think it's I've always been interested in, in racing, as you guys know. I, I've, I've always loved loved two wheel sport. And, and, and I think we've documented it even on the, the, the Moto America Live Plus last year that, you know, Wayne Rainey was was my hero. And, and you know, meeting him in. 1989 when he raced for the Lucky Strike Yamaha at Donington Park 
um, was one of the reasons that I used to pester my dad to take me to the races. So I've always, always been involved in racing. I've loved racing ever since I can remember. And, you know, when you get an opportunity, as, as you guys know, from working in, in the industry, you know, it's, there are so many people that want to work in the industry and, and so many people that, you know, have a talent, whether it's being a journalist, whether it's been a commentator or presenter or technicians, mechanics, whatever it is, you know, that there's so many people that want to be in a racing paddock around the world. And I was very lucky to get the opportunity with, um, with Inference and World Superbike um, when I was still a teenager, just doing, you know, grid walks and long before Twitter and everything came along and, and, and doing more radio based stuff. And, I've just always always applied myself a hundred percent to to whatever whatever it was that I was doing, and you know, as I said, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I now have a job and a career in a in a sport that I absolutely love, and, and I think, you know, that's not just the same for motorsport. You could see around the world all the different you know jobs in the world. If, if you're doing a job that you love, it's it's not a job; it becomes a pleasure. And you know, for me, when I got the chance to obviously expand my role within World Superbike, I jumped at it. Um, that led to opportunities in, in MotoGP, and and then when you get the opportunity to to work for, for for Wayne and for Chuck and to work with you guys, you know, especially back at the beginning when it was because of Wayne that that I got the the sort of the, the racing bug, as it were. It was one of those things that I always just liked just to give a hundred percent. So you know, if the, the last thing I wanted to do coming out to road. Um, Road America last year was to to kind of just sit back and rest on my laurels and be like, look, everybody knows what I do, or a lot of people know what I do without sounding big-headed or arrogant in, in World Superbike. But the, 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 the proposition or the, the work that I'm doing with you guys is slightly different. So it's, it had been a while since I'd done just pure commentary and, and TV work. So I just... I just took took that extra bit of time just to to reach out to to riders that I knew and and, and reach out to, to to various team managers and and say look hey I'm I'm going to be involved can we do this can I have five ten minutes to chat to you guys and I think coming to Road America was was a big eye opener for me because you know you you hear a lot of people and you or you read a lot of things on the internet about you know what's the series like is it going to be any good what are the teams like what's life in the paddock like you know and it is different it's very different to to World Superbike, but World Superbike is different to BSB, which is different to, to MotoGP. And I think it was it was nice for me to come to, to Road America. It was a track that I'd never been to before. So, you know, having that aspect of going around the tracks and learning all the tracks as well from a, from a commentary point, I think is, is important. But I think the short answer to, to your question, Sean, is that I, I just, I love my job. And, you know, I've had a lot of people that have said over the years, oh, you clearly can tell, but I, I do genuinely love love my job. And I think it's, I don't have to, to do that. I don't have to make as many conversations with riders or teams. I could kind of just wing it, but I like to think that we're putting on a on a show, whether whether I'm the commentator or whether, you know, we're doing something in the paddock or whether, you know, the guys on track are all still putting on a show. You know, it's entertainment. So I just feel a little bit, not, not responsible, that's not probably the right word. Maybe it is. Um, I just feel responsible that, you know, I've been trusted to to put on a show along with, with Robbie and, and, and the guys on on Moto America Live Plus, and I think it's it's our duty to do that. And you know, everybody works differently. You know, um, Robbie has his own way of doing things, and you know, Jonathan Green has his own way of doing things. And I just do my thing, and I just apply that to to whatever championship I'm in. And, and hopefully, hopefully, you guys enjoy it, and the, and the fans enjoy it, and 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 that's that's the important thing. Yeah, we do, and I know the fans do too. Um... So, hey, we're, we're doing well with this podcast. We're getting towards the end, but I did want to fit in one more question about our series. So 
I'm going to use a term that's a decidedly British term, I think, and it's the the, the all change. You know, you guys say all change, and uh, that was a little bit of the case. Not all change, but quite a bit of change this year heading into this season regarding Superbike and Moto America Superbike. And, you know, we kind of got a taste of what it was going to be like at the test. You know, we weren't sure how it was going to work with with Cameron and Jake on this uh, the attack team. And it seems like that's they're same as they were. It doesn't seem a whole lot different. An even bigger thing seems to be M4X star Suzuki and, and Tony with Bobby Fong moving up with those guys as teammates. And, you know, that team looks to be really good, too. I, I know Tony did a, a ton of laps in all kinds of all, all the weather conditions that we had at Barber. So he really was working on the bike pretty hard. Um, what do you, do you think? Do you think even with that sort of all change this year, do you think that the player those players are going to be the ones involved in? What do you think the chances are from what you know of our series and what you've seen of Tony? Do you think he can snap back and? and snatch it away from, from Cameron this year, uh, despite the fact that there's been a few changes with regard to how the teams are made up? Yeah, no, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I think Moto America over the last few years has done a great job and it continues to grow. And I think if you look at the entry lists from from Superbike, you guys have got six manufacturers. Um, there's a few new names in there. You've got quite a few young riders on the grid this year in Superbike. I mean, Ashton Yates, for example, he's going to be riding one of the new Hondas. And that bike is quick. I don't know what specification he's going to have, but if it's anything like the bike that Bautista and Haslam's got in, in World Superbike, it's going to be quick. You've got a couple of Ducatis on the grid now. Obviously, Kyle Wyman, he learned a ton last year. Um, and, you know, it's not easy to, to take a new bike with no development and to, to get it working for the tracks. You know, the tracks that that bike was developed for were World Championship racing tracks. And, you know, I'm not knocking any of the tracks that we go to in Moto America, but the, the nature of the circuit is very different. Sonoma, um, Pittsburgh, they're, they're not necessarily the same kind of tracks that, that that bike would have tested on. So I think you can expect to see Kyle Wyman definitely spring a surprise. You've also got PJ uh, Jacobson. You know, a lot of people forget that PJ's got superbike experience. He raced a couple of years in BSB with Taiko, Suzuki, uh, Taiko, yeah, Taiko Suzuki. Um, he's had a season in World Superbike. So PJ on the Ducati will be good. Tony, for sure, is going to be one of the championship favorites. Cameron will be a championship favorite. On, on paper, those two are the, you know, if you had to pick two people, who, who are your top two potentially for the title? They would be at the top, whichever way around you put them. You know, they're going to be there or thereabouts. You can't discount Jake Gagne. Um, he had a bit of a rough time when he came to, to World Superbike. He had some injuries and, and arguably wasn't on, on a bike that allowed him to demonstrate what he could do. So, He's proven in, in testing that he's not a million miles away. So, you know, once he gets back up to speed, he's going to be in the mix. And then you've got the recent announcements. I mean, look at um, uh, Josh Herod. He's going to be back on the grid on the BMW. Um, you've got other riders coming up as well through Superstock. So from a British point of view, Bradley Ward with David Anthony and that expanded team with Sam Vidarico. So you've got, I think you've got the riders at the top, which you can expect. But I think the midfield battle, I think could be really, really good. Um, you've mentioned Bobby Fong stepping up. I mean, we saw what he did last year and what he has done for a few years. You know, he is going to be determined to, to prove a point. And you've also got other riders um, that we haven't really uh, talked about. Matthew Schultz, he's been in the mix for, for a few years. You know, he stayed with the same team with Westby, so he's going to be in the mix as well. Um, Cam Peterson, you know, he'll be there. But I think that the competitive nature of Moto America doesn't just extend for me to Superbike this year. If you look at Supersport, 
there's a few riders that have moved on okay but then if you look down the entry list that you know that we've seen um, potentially Sean Dylan Kelly he had a great debut season last year he's still a teenager you know we know how quick he is um, Richie Escalante is going to be there or thereabouts there's also other riders moving around as well so we talk about the you, you mentioned the Yamaha sort of pyramid or how it works for, for, for Garrett you've also got that happening in Moto America if you look at a number of the riders that have moved from the, the 300s for example so Trevor Standish is one that springs to mind he's now gone into the twins um, you've also got from Supersport Kevin Olmedo I mean he was on fire last year racing with Rocco Landers. He's moved into Supersport. Alex Dumas has gone into Stock 1000. Hunter Dunham, who's a tall, tall kid, you know, to be riding the 300. He dipped his toe in the water with Supersport. He's now gone into to Superstock 1000. So I think once we once we get racing, and hopefully it is going to be uh, VIR, that'll be a new circuit for me. I've never been there before. So I'm looking forward to, to, to getting there and, and getting the season started. But I think we're in for, for one hell of a season. I really, really, really do. And I think that we're going to have uh, five worthy champions at the end of it. Yeah, I think it's going to be really good. And it's going to, going to be good to have you with us, too. Um, we're just about out of time, Michael. That went by pretty quickly. Uh, but I want, to start, I want to finish my part of it by saying, you know, to everybody out there, thank you for listening to our podcast Please subscribe to Moto America Live Plus, our popular subscription streaming service that Michael Hill is very much a part of. And also don't forget to get your race weekend tickets. There's nothing like being there for our races. And to do that, you can go to MotoAmerica.com slash buy for complete details. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to Paul right now to kind of sign us off here. So, Holy crap. I could have just stayed at the grocery store because I don't think I've ever spoken less in one of these podcasts than with you two clowns. <laughs> I I think uh, I, I think if you two guys got together and did Moto America Live Plus, we'd have to have like five day events. Hey, I, I'm up for that, Sean. What do you reckon? Should we try that out at the first round? Let's get a couple of roving cameras and just go and sit in the grandstand and see how long we can keep going for. <laughs> hey, anyways, Michael, I appreciate the uh, the time this morning. Um, I want both you guys to stay safe and, and do the right things and do what you're supposed to do. And, and hopefully we, uh, we'll all get back together here fairly soon and, and watch some motorcycle racing. But uh, in the meantime, um, same to our fans out there. Everybody stay safe and keep your health. It's your number one thing. Um, health is your wealth. Remember that. And uh, we'll talk again soon. But, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs>